Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our series called In Blank We Trust. We believe that Christians should be marked by generosity and a deep trust and obedience in God rather than the materialism that so deeply permeates our culture. In this series, we will learn more about stewardship and trusting in God for our needs. Our reading this morning is from Malachi chapter 3. It is the last book in the Old Testament. So if you find the Old Testament, go all the way to the end. The book of Malachi is the last book. And as a matter of fact, after Malachi delivered this prophecy, which really leans heavily towards repentance, there was 400 years of silence in the nation of Israel where no prophet was sent to speak to them until John the Baptist shows up about 400 years later and pretty much picks up exactly where Malachi left off. So a reading from Malachi chapter uh, chapter 3. If you're using the Pew Bible, um, it's on page 725. And if you don't have a Bible at home, you please take that Pew Bible home with you. That is our gift to you so that you have a copy of the scriptures at home. Malachi chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my laws and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord Almighty, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great, you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Let me prove it to you. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not shrivel before they are ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Brother Bill. Um, I'll never forget it. Never forget it. Walked into a church while I was in college. The um, service was getting ready to start. Pastor rolls up in probably the most expensive car I've ever seen. Tailored suit. Looking sharp. I mean sharp. His hair was gelled. About two men got out. I thought it was the president. Because two men got out of the car in front of him. Opened his door. And then he got out with his wife. And, and, and he almost had bodyguards as he went into this church. Um, down in southeast Tennessee. So I was like, man, what, what have I stumbled upon? And they kind of, he had guards up front. I mean, he was, oh boy, he was protected. And here I am, my belt broke this morning, and so I have a piece of rope holding my pants up. <laughs> oh, help me, Jesus. <laughs> 
Stop laughing. It's, it's, it's over. The joke is over. You, you can, now it's making me feel insecure. Okay. He gets up. He gets up. They, they kind of, they play a song and then he gets up and it's offering time. It's offering time. And I didn't realize it was offering time. I thought it was sermon time because he preached for about 30 minutes and then they took up the offering. I thought, Phew. Well, service is almost over. It's weird. They took up offering at the end of service. Um, well, then he got up to preach, and he preached even longer. Preached even longer. That 30 minutes was just to tell people, hey, you need to give. Hey, I need somebody over here. I, this, this happened. This is no joke. He, hey, I need somebody over here to write a check for $1,000. That's what he did. And I was praying to the Lord, please, don't let him point at me. I can barely afford Vienna sausage. <laughs> and don't hate on the Vienna sausage because it's good. Yeah, I'm going to make some for Thanksgiving. <laughs> I want you to know that is not what's going to happen this morning. <laughs> If you haven't been able to tell already, um, we've been talking forgiving for about a month, and I did—I I didn't anticipate the hornet's nest it would stir, but it stirred a big old hornet's nest. People come out thinking um, all types of things, so I want to get some presuppositions out of the way. That sounds familiar to some of you, Mr. Cox. If you're watching at home, he preached to us presuppositions and. History class. And so many of us bring some ideas to the table that may not be biblical. And so I, I want you to be clear on what I am not saying. Because here's what's happened the last three weeks and up until today. I have preached for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, towards 40. And um, then you leave here. And I've had people come walk away with complete farces. Complete. Like, where did you hear that message? And so let me, let me tell you what I am not going to do today. I am not asking you to live in poverty. I'm not asking you to clear your bank account out for the sake of the church. Um, God does not need your money. God does not need you or your money. So stop boasting yourself up so much that you think your tie check is a pat on God's back. So I'm not saying, I, I am not saying you should be poor. If cr Christians, are, uh, some are. I, I would say that some Christians are called to a life of more poverty than others. And you can tell that by, God, what, by what God provides you. There are missionaries living on $15,000, $10,000 a year in other countries. Okay, um, but some of us, God has blessed more lucratively. So what I'm going to preach to you today is that um, there are types of people that rob God. It says cheat in the NLT, but let me be very, very clear. The text points to the word rob. And look, it's dumb to rob in general. Can I tell you that? It's dumb to rob in general. Can I tell you how dumb it is to rob the creator of the universe? This is not a position that you want to be in. 
And so we're, we're, what we're going to describe today from Malachi is what it looks like to rob God. Um, I'm not going to take up an offering at the end of the service. Uh, for those who are members here, you have uh, your regular giving that you give. Um, and if you are a guest here, put your wallets away. Unless the Lord is asking of you to do something. But we're not going to take up an offering. A um, couple other things. Uh, to clear up, I don't, didn't have a whole lot of time to go into a ton of Jewish history, but what I need to tell you is biblically, the tithe is an involuntary tax, okay? But what I'm going to deal with today is giving. Now, we are no longer under the law, right? We're under grace. Everybody understands that, correct? So what I'm going to tell you today that's going to rub some of you wrong is that God does not require the tithe of you. What he requires is a heart that gives. Now, for some of you today, the tithe is the start. The tithe might be your start. But what God requires of you is a cheerful giver. That's what the New Testament would tell us. Uh, In the New Testament, the tithe isn't mentioned but one time. One time the tithe is mentioned in the New Testament. And so let me clear up what the tithe is before we get into Malachi. The tithe was an involuntary tax, a a system under the uh, law of Moses where God said, I need you to give. And actually the tithe isn't 10%. The tithe in the Old Testament, the tithe under Moses was multiple tithes. And it it equated to about 23.3% of your everything. And they would give this tax to the temple and the temple would use it because the priests weren't allowed to work. Okay? The priests weren't allowed to work. They, God wanted them to devote their lives to the work of ministry. And so people had to give so the priests could eat, so the priests could have livelihood. And also out of that pot, that tithe pot, They would feed orphans and widows and foreigners. That's where it came from. So in the New Testament, the the tithe is only mentioned one time. And that, so most of you would know that as 10%. Uh, If you grew up in church, you would know the tithe is uh, 10% of your, what you get, you give back to God. Um, And I think some of us... uh, So I'm going to say this later, but I'm going to go ahead and say it now. 10% tithe, okay, for some of you is sacrificial, godly giving. But the 10% for some of you is still robbing God. Uh Uh-oh, see, look. (laughs) Y'all said, I'm, I'm never coming back to this church. This is crazy. Um, you'll see here in the text why I say that. You'll see here why I say that. Your 10% could still very well be robbing God. So let's look at it. Uh, Number one thing I want you to walk away with today. There's some hope here. If we have robbed God, we must return to him and give obediently to his kingdom purposes. If by the end of the message today, you say, I think I'm guilty of robbing God. The answer to that is to return to him 
and to give obediently. Everybody say obedience to his kingdom purposes. So how do we rob God? Um, Brother Bill read um, here, and the number, it starts actually in verse six, this call to repentance, uh, where God says, I am the Lord and I do not change. I am the Lord, I do not change. And then if we go on to seven, He says, ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. This text starts out, Malachi, um, as Bill said, last prophet for about 400 years, proclaiming repentance here to the nation. Um, God's people have always done this. Christians have always done this oh, we're really close to God, and then we dip away and we disobey and back and forth and back and forth. Has, has your Christian walk ever felt that way? Like sometimes I just feel like I'm in it, and then other times I feel like, man, I just can't get it together. That is normal. That is normal on this side of heaven. And so what Malachi is doing here is calling them back. He's saying, hey, hey, repent, repent, repent. Repent of what? And he starts with this very general, you have disobeyed God in a very general sense. You have disobeyed God. Verse 7 tells us we rob God when we allow outside sources to influence his call to radical obedience. How many of you let outside sources tell you what, um, what you should and should not believe about God? Have you ever noticed it? That your walk with God somehow shifts a little this way or a little that way and you realize it's not because of biblical influence. You realize that other people, have, that you've started to take on things from the culture around you. Well, surely God wouldn't look like that. My neighbor said that, or my friends, this is how they act, but surely I should act this way, maybe. We allow the culture, oftentimes, to influence how we're giving, and this is what was happening to Israel, okay? Israel was allowing outside sources to influence them and influence their giving. Everybody say Giving. And this is where Israel's at. They, they have strayed from God, strayed from obedience. And so now they are not being blessed. Chapter 1, if you rewind a couple chapters, this is the story. You remember how I talked to you about how they would bring offerings to the temple and what they were used for? Well, the people of God started cutting corners on the offerings. So... Instead of bringing God their very best, which he required, they would bring him like uh, 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 flicted animal. Flicted is a WV term. You know that term, Roger? Yeah, that's a West Virginia term, flicted. They wouldn't bring God their best. They would bring God, well, I'll just give him this and I will give him his 10%, but it's not going to be my best. Uh Uh-oh. You see, what, you see where the text is going? They would bring him sick animals. They couldn't get up. They couldn't walk. How lame is that? Did you get it? You know how that took me days to come up with. Days. It's hard for me to be that clever. 
<laughs> hey. hey, 15% for you this week, okay? I'm just kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke. They would bring God lame animals, sickly animals, but God required of it um, them their best. You want some statistics? Okay. Here's for all my statistics, folks. IRS statistic from a few years ago. It revealed that the highest percentage of giving was actually from the lowest income bracket. Did you know that? Listen to this. Those in the income bracket making 25000 or less were giving 12.3%. So about 2000 Sorry, baby. Gone, Siri. Okay. From there, it was steadily downhill. Listen to this. The more they made, the smaller the percentage they gave. Those making 75 to 100 grand gave an average of 3.8%. Those making 200 to 500,000, 2.3% they gave. So, can I dispel a myth for you? You having more money doesn't mean you're going to be more obedient to God's requirements of you. Yep. That's the facts. And the people of Israel found that they were going to try and circumvent God's call to giving their best by giving him less than the best and saying, I've given my 10%. I'm good. Well, no, no, they were not good Heard a story of a pastor, um, got a call from one of his members. He said, Pastor, Pastor, I've got to meet with you. I've got, can we go grab some coffee? So they go out, they grab some coffee. And this guy said, Pastor, listen, you know, when I first started out, you know, I only made $20,000 a year. Um, so tithing seemed to be easier back then. You know, I gave my $2,000 a year or whatever. But now... I'm making 500,000. I'm in a predicament. I'm in a predicament because I now make $500,000 a year. Don't you see? I, I can't tithe $50,000. You see the predicament? That's, too much. That's, a, that's a lot of money. It's much easier. You know, before. Can you pray for me? Can you pray, pastor, help me. Uh, ha- have the spirit help me to figure this out. I, I'm in a predicament. So the pastor said, absolutely. Let's pray. Dear God, please help this man by reducing his income from $500,000 back to $20,000 so he can obey you. Amen. Is that the fix? Do you see how it's not a money issue? It's a heart issue. Do you see where this is going? Verse 7, he starts out very specific. Uh, or it starts out very broad. You have disobeyed. Then he, then he gets very specific. God becomes very specific. Uh, this is where uh, in church they would say he went from preaching to meddling. You ever heard that phrase? Okay. Maybe that's a Tennessee thing. Look here. Look at verse uh, 8 through 10. 
He gets very specific. Should people cheat God, yet you have cheated me? But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? Look, look how unaware they are. Do you think it's possible that you're cheating God and unaware if the people of God, his chosen Israelite people, can be completely oblivious to it? I think that could be the case today. Continuing, you have cheated me of tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse. Somebody say curse. For your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all, say all, the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have room to take it in. Try it. The text would say, test me in this. Put me to the test. He gets very specific. He said, it would have been easy at this point for folks to say, hey, listen, I obey God. So God said, okay, so if you obey me, if if you're saying I obey God, uh, let's get specific. How's your giving? How's your giving? There are... Uh, many ways to test your lit, a litmus test to test your faithfulness to God. Um, giving is a fail-proof litmus test of your relationship to the Lord. Giving is a fail-proof, and I'll tell you why. Because oftentimes you, it's around money, especially in the Western world, that is your God. But you would not, you you would talk about your obedience of time. Uh, Maybe um, you you would say all types of things about how you obey God. But as soon as we start talking about your money, um, well, that's mine. And what I give is up to me. So why God? Why why tithing? Why, Why giving in general? Everywhere throughout Scripture, You find the people of God following God. You find them setting aside a portion of their wealth to give away. All through, from Genesis all the way through. From the very beginning, God has, his people are a giving people. Um, Adam's boys, Cain and Abel, they brought offerings to the Lord. Abraham, even though it was one time, tithed a tenth. That's what that means. Tithe means a tenth. That's where it comes from. Um, To the priest Melchizedek. uh, Moses. Uh, The tribes of Israel gave a tenth uh, for those who worked in the worship place. Orphans, widows, aliens, all were provided for because of that. In the New Testament, Jesus semi-affirms it, but then also it's a rebuke at the same time. Uh, Luke 11, 42, Jesus says, hey, look, you paid your tithe, but you forgot widows. And you don't love justice. So, So what's your tithe? You should tithe and not forget people in the process. The early Christians, if you go to 1 Corinthians 16, the early Christians set aside percentages of their income on a weekly basis when they went to worship to give others in need, even when they were dirt poor themselves. There's a story in Acts when the church first erupted where... um, here, here some of us are today saying, oh, I'll give my 10%. It's not my best, but it is 10%, so I'm good. People in Acts 
when the church birthed, they would sell their property. Think about this. They would sell their property, give the proceeds to the church so that the church could minister. In fact, do you remember Ananias and Sapphira? They stole from God. How did they steal from God? Well, they sold a piece of property, lied about the amount. They wanted to look like they were doing what everybody else was doing, but they lied about it and God killed them. So you don't want to lie to God either. I can't tell your true intent. Can I tell you? You can fool me. But God knows your heart. God also knows your bank account. God also knows what your best is. And according to scripture, what God would say of us today, forget the 10%. Are you giving God your best? Because what it's going to say It's going to be a litmus test for whether you actually trust God or you trust yourself. He always goes to it. It's a characteristic of God-like people to intentionally give. If Jesus tests a couple things, there's a couple situations in Scripture I want to point to. Luke 19. You've heard of Zacchaeus? The wee little man? Wee little man was he? If you haven't been in church, that makes no sense to you. Google it. The song will never leave your head. (laughs) Climbed up in a sycamore tree. Now, I'm not going to do it. You know what? I'm not going to do it. Somebody said, go ahead and sing it. I'm not going to do it. Refuse. Yeah, well, because the rest of the time, all you're going to hear is Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, up in a tree. um, Instead of listening to the sermon. Remember that song? Zacchaeus gives his heart to the Lord, okay? And when he does, this is what he said. He said, I'm going to give half of everything I have away. This is what he says. I'm going to give half of it away. And then anybody that I've cheated out of money, I'm going to give them back four times what I took from them. And then Jesus says, truly, Salvation has come to this house. Go to Mark 10. You can go to Mark 10, find the rich young ruler. This ruler, this rich guy runs up to Jesus and he says, hey, how do I follow you? How do I enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, he looks at him. Does he say, attend church, make sure you know everything there is to know about scripture No, what does he say? He he saw this man's God and he said, give away everything that you have. Give it to the poor and then come. And that rich young ruler walked away. He said, I'm not going to give. It's impossible. And then that's where we hear the line, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle. The eye of a needle was a door in Jerusalem. It wasn't actually a needle. Thought that for years. Nobody explained that to me growing up. I was like, man, well, that makes complete sense. Why a camel won't fit through an eye of a needle. (laughs) Luke 16, Jesus states that stewardship of money is a test of how we will do with more important responsibilities. This is what Luke 16 says. He who is faithful in very little things... Quote, listen, very little things, talking about money, is faithful also 
in much. And he who is unrighteous in very little things, money, is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? Do you see what it's saying? If I can't trust you with money, why would I trust you with true riches? Souls. Treasures in heaven. Why would I trust you with all these things? You want more experiences with God. You want to encounter God. You, you, you just want, you want to do big things for the Lord, right? I think many of us do. But you can't remain faithful in the little things. So why would he entrust you? In, context, in the context, the very little thing is the money that God has entrusted to us. The much or the true riches are the souls of people. Our use of money is God's test of whether he can entrust us with more. You see it all through scripture. Look, you can impress us with knowledge, prayers, years of service. You can come to me with all kinds of Christian resume, but God goes time and time again to how you handle your finances as a litmus test for your faithfulness. Are you greedy? Are you generous? Do you deal with money with integrity? Or are you dealing with it in line with God's word? I'll never know. I'll never know unless you were to tell me. God knows. The people of Israel thought they could slip it under the radar. I'm going to just give him, I'll give him his 10%. But it's not going to be my best. It's more than a dollar issue. It's a heart issue. It's more than a, than a dollar issue. It's a heart issue. Let's continue. Look at verse 9. Let's see what happens when we rob God. Verse 9, you are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. The very first thing we see happens when you begin to rob God. It's when we rob God, we come under a curse. God cannot bless disobedience. God cannot bless disobedience. Look, I'm not going to make a pitch today that Israel is the church or, or that uh, you have to pay the tithe or God's going to zap you with a lightning bolt. Um, but what the Lord is pointing, he said, for the whole nation has been cheating on me. You're under a curse. Um, think about the ripple effect. Think about the ripple. They weren't giving their best. They, they were trying to skirt around being obedient to the things of God, and the ripple effect was now the temple couldn't focus on the worship that they needed to do. Worship suffered because of their lack of obedience. They couldn't provide for orphans and widows and aliens. The, the worship itself, the priests had to figure it out on their own. You see what happens when you don't give God your best, when you're not obedient. The ripple is that um, there, there is, um, especially in church today, there's this thought that, um, oh, we're under grace, so there is no, you know, we're free from any bad things that would happen because of my sin. Oh, it's covered. Well, your sin is covered, but there are still um, repercussions for sinfulness. 
You know that. We know that. Look at verse 12. We'll see the other thing. This is, this, look, this is what I was just talking about. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight. Says the Lord of heaven's armies. When we rob God, the nations miss God's blessing. The whole point of giving wasn't so God could store up. You remember what we said at the beginning? God doesn't need your money. But what he is saying is that by us being obedient to what he's called us to do, by giving him our best, giving him our very best, is that it glorifies him and the nations will take notice. It brings glory to God when we're obedient. So let's look at the other side. So how do we rob God? We covered. What does it look like when we rob God on the other end? So how do we stop robbing God? You ready? You ready? Nope, no one's ready. Y'all want to go home. Y'all want to go home. It's fine. Take a nap. I am convinced that the number one time throughout the week that the devil is active is Sunday morning at 10 or 11 a.m. when you're sitting in that pew as the preacher prepares and prepares and prepares to display the gospel to you and to beckon you to repentance and obedience in God and the devil will whisper in your ear, this isn't for you, just ignore it. Oh, don't worry about it. Yeah. Well, if I'm just being transparent with you, don't come to my office complaining about why God isn't blessing you if you're not obedient. Don't do it. Don't call me on the phone and say, oh, my life is terrible. And then when I begin to ask you about how, are you acknowledging him in all your ways? Are you being obedient with your finances? Are you serving the Lord? Are you allowing the spirit to search your heart and say, no, me, God. But you don't want to talk about that. You just want me to tell you how blessed you are, send you out to Hardee's. While there is a world dying that needs us to be obedient to bring glory to God. Oh, help me, God. I'm going to chuck this pulpit before today's over. You keep shouting like that, I'm going to preach for an hour and a half. Check to make sure. I got to close. Look at verse 7. Ever since the days of your ancestors, I have scorned, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey me. Now return to me, and I will return to you. Do you see the promise? We stop robbing God when we return to him. I wish somebody would return to him today. I, I, my prayer for this morning throughout the whole giving series is not that we would increase our bank account. Not so I could build a new building here on the property or boast of how much money we have, but that God would work in your hearts in a way that you would leave this series obedient, sacrificially obedient, declaring that I trust God. I don't trust myself. I don't trust security. I don't trust quantity. I trust God. I trust God. 
I'm not asking you to be poor. I'm not asking you to, I'm not trying to meddle in your business. There's one thing I have not done. And look, I've been in churches where the pastor goes through all the tithe records and he'll call you on the phone when things start to dip. I don't know what any of you pay. You know that? I don't know what anyone in this house or that tithes here, I don't know the amounts. I don't know the frequency. I don't know any of it. Because honestly, it probably frankly affect my ability to pastor you. But what has been declared for the last three weeks and Christ is declaring in this text is return to me. And what is he asking you to return to him? To full, committed, sacrificial obedience all the way through. And then lastly, we stop robbing God by giving obediently to his kingdom purposes. This is how we stop robbing God. Um, let me put, let, let me start here. Relationship is inseparable from obedience. Relationship is inseparable from obedience. If you go to John 15, this is what John 15 says. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide In his love, you are my friends if you do what I command you. I'm not going to tell you what percentage to do today because biblically I cannot uh, honestly make a case for, hey, God requires 10%. No, but he does require your best. And for some of you, 10% is the best. But for some of you, 10% is robbing God because it is not your best. It somehow alleviates you from checking your heart for how you can give. Relationship is is inseparable from obedience. Today, um, if, if I say I love my wife, but then repeatedly cheat on her, And totally forget any obedience to my marriage vows. Is that love? Surely you would not say that's love. My ability to disobey and disregard my vow to my wife. And still say I love her. Today I would say there are many in the church who write a 10% check. Saying I love the Lord. Look at my 10%. But then with the rest of your life, you just disobey, disobey, disobey. God may be calling you to more than 10%. Obedience, lastly, must be total, not partial. Partial obedience is not obedience at all. Yeah. Does that sting anybody else? Partial obedience is not obedience at all. Look at verse 10. Bring some of the tithes into the storehouse. No. Bring all. All. A-L-L. Some of you are impressed I spelled that. 
All is not some. Obedience to God should be totality. Total obedience. Anything short of it is disobedience. And hear me, there are many, and this is, say we talk finances, talk about the rest of your life. If I look at your life and you just obey God where you feel comfortable doing it, it is not obedience at all. Some of y'all are so busy trying to just skirt under the tailgates of heaven and convincing yourself that you're obedient. You are not. Partial obedience is not obedience at all. He wants it all. He wants it all. Does he want it all because he needs it? Well, you've been listening. The band's going to come back up. We're going to get ready to worship. God does not need your money or your cow. Anybody got a cow? I wrote it in here. I got one. That's not shocking. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your cow. He doesn't need your help or your ability. What he wants is your heart. The part of you that loves, the part that feels gratitude, that makes promises, that turns in trust when things go wrong and then sees that he is sufficient. He wants your heart. He wants your full, unblocked obedience. All of it. He gives us different things in our spiritual life to discipline us. Can I tell you what giving is, tithing is? It is a spiritual discipline aimed at not accruing money, but aimed at training ourselves, making ourselves discover that he really is our provider. The money isn't the point. Obedience to God is the point. So you can use your wealth to train your heart to trust God, or you can do the reverse. You can use your wealth to curse yourself and keep yourself from experiencing God. You can go either way. They also forget that God owns it all to begin with. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? What you give is God's, but also what you keep is God's. He owns it all. How much does he own? All of it. Hey, you know what it's called? Uh, I, hope, I hope you hear this. Stop daydreaming about lunch and hear me. You know what it's called when you pretend to own something that's not yours? Stealing. Oh, help me, God. Do you know what it's called when you pretend to own something that's not yours? It's stealing. Hence verse 8. Will a man rob God? Will he cheat him? You know why? Because they had taken ownership of something that never belonged to them in the, in the first place. God owns the house. He owns my kids. He owns my truck, my breathing. God owns my leisure time. God owns my 401k. He owns your retirement. 
God owns the boats. He owns the clothes. Everything you have at this very moment belongs to the Lord, whether you want to recognize it or not. He's just letting you borrow it for a while. That makes you a steward, not an owner. That makes you a steward, not a loner. An owner. God alone is the owner. Let me say it again. What is it? What do you call it? When you pretend that something's yours that is not yours, it's stealing. And if you don't believe that, give me your address. Let me show up at your house and I'll collect a few things since it's. Okay? And I'll just say it's mine. This is often our posture with the Lord. And we don't want to recognize it. Your generosity is directly dependent on your worldview. Who is God? And who owns it all? For some today, 10% is that sacrifice. I remember the story we told a couple weeks ago of the, the widow that showed up at the temple. Broke Christ's heart, giving everything that she had while everybody else was giving in out of their what? Their excess. They weren't giving their best. And it disgusted the Lord. It was their 10%, but it was not their best. I'm not going to give you an amount to give today. I'm not going to take up an offering. I'm not going to ask you to pull out your checkbook. For Kirsten and I, there was a time where we, we did not trust the Lord with our finances. We gave, I don't, I don't, we didn't even keep track of the percent. We just spent everything we had and gave the Lord what was left over if there was any. Over the last several years, bumped it up to 10% every year, continually more. We didn't stop at 10. We just, every year we asked the Lord to search our hearts and say, is money still the God of my heart or are you the God of my heart? Am I giving you my very best? Is 10% our very best? So now we don't even keep track of the percentage. We, we kind of start there, but we really just based our giving on checking our obedience to the Lord. 10% is a great start, but it's not the point. The point is a heart surrendered to God, obedient to all he's called us to do, including a sacrificial look at our finances and supporting kingdom work. I only have one question today. Who do you trust? For four weeks, we've talked about who in blank we trust, and we talked about in me I trust, in security I trust, or in quantity, uh, if I have enough, I'll give. Today, my prayer is that you would say, in God, I trust Yes, I trust him. Trust him with my kids. Trust him with my bills. I trust him with my income. I trust him today with this church. I trust him with every dollar, every penny. And I 
pray that today you would just ask the Lord, how can I give you my best? Are you giving him your best? That's why I'm not giving an amount. For some, it's going to be different for everyone in this room, and it is not percentage-based. It is absolutely heart-based, and I'm just praying you give until your heart is content. The Lord, Paul said he's had a lot, and he's had very little, and I've learned to be content in all of it. Contentment is the reward of those who trust the Lord. best. Are you stressed about it? Some of you are stressed about it. I don't want you to stress. I just want you to run to the arms of the Savior. Return to him today. Say, God, I want to give you my best. Will you help me know what that is? Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.